In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every year there's this call during Lent to take up our crosses and to follow Jesus. But seldom do we ask ourselves, where are we following him? Well, we're following him to his cross, where he's going to pay for the sins of the world, where he's going to pay for our sins. And it's the same call that bears on our lives, whether we're in Lent or not. But the point of this season is to redouble our efforts to take seriously, again, the disciplines of the Christian life to commit ourselves to devotion to the Lord's Word, to prayer, to almsgiving, and even fasting. If you're committed to doing Lent properly, it is hardcore. At the risk of sounding too hippy-dippy, the Lenten season is a journey for the Christian who practices it. Can I say that? Sound like a first-year college student, right? It's a journey, man. The Lenten season is a journey. It's a journey away from what is comfortable and what is familiar to us. The luxuries of this world. The, the constant entertainment that we amuse ourselves to death with at the expense of the Lord's Word. Even the food that we take for granted. All of these things that have become familiar to us. It's a journey away from those things to something completely unexpected, something completely unfamiliar to us. Suffering and death. But ultimately, we know that this journey that God leads us on ends with untold blessings of Jesus' cross and his empty tomb. In many ways, our Lenten journey throughout this season is typified by what we hear in Genesis chapter 12, which is our Old Testament reading this morning. It recounts God's initial call of Abram, the first patriarch of God's people, and Abram's ensuing pilgrimage. Abram was called away from what was familiar to him. He was called away from his own people and the land that he knew as home, to this place that God would show him in due time. And from that unknown place, God would make his countless blessings manifest to him as he would not only give Abram this special land, but God would, he would establish that land as his base of operations from which he was going to bless the entire world. He was going to do it through this new family that he was creating, this new family through Abraham's lineage. Last week, we heard about this first promise that God made in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, that God was going to send forth the seed of woman who would crush the serpent's head. And here we see God continuing to develop the implications of that first promise as he moves the ball down the field in the course of redemptive history. And he's going to do it through this man, Abram. First, Abram is called to leave his home. Though Abram was descended from the line of Shem, the line of true worshipers, Abram was actually a practicing idolater. He served other gods with his father as they came from this place called Ur. And they were settled in this in this place known as Haran. Now, Abram had a pagan family, 
But it was his family, nonetheless. In our day and age, we have this sense of independence and this sense of autonomy that we don't depend on anyone except for ourselves. But in that time, that thinking just did not exist. Your family uh, was your tribe, and that was your way of surviving in the world. So not only was Abram called to flee his homeland, but his family as well. His very way of surviving in the world, he was called away from what was familiar to him at the time, his false gods, his family, his home, into the unknown. And it was a difficult call, to say the least. But Abram obeyed. He took all that he had with him as he set off into the unknown, blindfolded, as it were. And verse 8 tells us that he went to a place that God had showed him and he pitched his tent. But he didn't dwell among good, honest, and faithful neighbors. He wasn't there among respectable people. There were Canaanites in the land. A bunch of pagans who were actually hostile to God's people. He didn't have the friendliest of neighbors. But he was called to dwell among them, and so he pitched his tent there. And we also hear a couple of interesting geographical features in our reading today. We hear that this pilgrim patriarch hung out near a tree in a place called Mora, that he would eventually move on to settle in near a hill, near a place called Bethel in Ai in verse 8. He built an altar there. He began to call upon the name of the Lord, indicating in this very tangible way that he was no longer serving his false gods, but that now he was a true worshiper of God like his ancestor Shem. Shem would do the same thing, call upon the name of the Lord. Abram was assured by God that he would possess this land. And this former idolater, this one who was called out of his pagan worship to the true worship was given faith in the Lord's promise. He became an example for all who call upon the name of the Lord by faith. All who call upon God's name and are blessed, those who are counted righteous by God's, uh, counted righteous by God for the sake of faith in his promise, as we hear about in our epistle lesson. That all who call upon God by faith through Jesus are counted Abraham's offspring. We share in the faith of Abraham. And from this place that God showed him, God began to make Abram's name great by giving him the offspring that he promised. He enjoyed the blessings of God so that the world would be blessed through him. This is Abram's story. This is where it starts. So we are now familiar with the story. We're familiar with the journey that he took at God's call. But what, what bearing does that have on us as Christians? That's a very interesting historical account. But for what? We'd be mistaken if we thought that Genesis 12 was just about a piece of property near the Mediterranean or that it was about lots and lots of babies. The blessing of land and the blessing of offspring was for a purpose. It was for God's redemptive purpose that he spoke way back in Genesis 3. This is about the seed of woman. 
And it's for the sake of that seed that God called Abram in the first place. This blessing of Abram was always, always about the promise of Christ who would come forth and who would do for us and for the world what Abram never could. If you look close enough at Abram's story, you can see that there's this remarkable similarity between Abram's journey and Christ's finished work. Jesus' journey is the one that would save all humanity. Now, just as Abram was called by God to go to the place that would be shown so that he could bring blessing to the world, Jesus does the same as he is obedient to the Father's will for the life and the salvation of the world. I've already lined out some features of Abram's story in Genesis 12. Now, how does that journey reflect the journey of our Lord? Christ was sent away from what was familiar to him, his heavenly home, to a land, the land of Abram. Abram was originally from Ur, but this man, this seed of woman, was from heaven, according to 1 Corinthians 15. He was eternally dwelling in the bosom of the Father, according to John 1, who for us and for our salvation came down into the muck and the mire of a sinful world. Talk about a difficult journey. Abram left everything that he knew behind, and that's hard enough for us to fathom. But the scriptures teach us that Jesus was in the form of God and shared all things with the Father in eternity past, and that despite all that, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant for us. He obeyed the call of his Father, willfully forsaking his place in heaven for us. He pitched his tent among us, as John's gospel tells us, that the eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he tabernacled, he pitched his tent. Just as Abram pitched his tent in the place that God sent him. And did Jesus come to live amongst the friendliest of neighbors? Just as Abram dwelt in a hostile land with people that threatened him on every side, our Lord Jesus also came to live among people who would despise and reject him. You know, it's interesting. We also see in Matthew chapter 15 that Jesus has this interaction with this woman of a particular ethnicity. You know where she's from? She's a Canaanite. And as Abram hung around the hill country where he pitched his tent, Jesus would one day climb up the hill of Calvary. And as Abram once hung around the tree of Morah, Jesus would hang upon the tree of the cross for you and me, for all. And he did it to fulfill what was once spoken in the garden, that this seed of woman, this virgin-born Messiah, would crush the serpent's head. He did it to fulfill what was promised to Abram, that through Abram's lineage, this true son of Abram, this, this Messiah would bring blessing to the nations. And by faith in Jesus, we too are Abraham's offspring, children of the promise, as we have sung today. We are not given an earthly land, as were our patriarchs, but we are given a heavenly city. 
We are given a new Jerusalem that is to come. And while we are on this Lenten journey, a journey that serves as a picture, honestly, for the Christian life, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, we are not permitted to see the glory of that promised land just yet. But we, like Abram, are given faith in that future promise. That promise that is made secure for us by the cross and by the empty tomb. So journey we must because someone greater than Abram actually goes with us. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another traveler that we met today to take along with us on the Lenten journey. He showed up in our gospel lesson. And like Abram, this man's journey reflects much of what we experience during the season of Lent and during the Christian life. This man was a child of Abraham, according to his physical birth. When we first meet him in John's gospel, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night to ask him some questions. But we see glimpses of his journey in three stages throughout John's gospel as he pops up three different times in the evangelist's account. He didn't know it yet whenever he comes to Jesus. But he too was being called away from what was familiar to him as Jesus was about to completely undo everything that he had known. You guys know who I'm talking about? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, like many of his fellow sons of Abraham, was reliant upon his physical birth as that which bestowed upon him the blessings that Abram once enjoyed. But Jesus was there to teach him that God's promises were never about real estate and they were never about ethnicity, but about eternal life in his kingdom that is received by faith. The very faith that made Abram righteous. And rather than relying on his physical birth, Jesus directed him somewhere else. He directed him to a new birth, one of water and the Spirit. The waters of holy baptism through which we receive new life, the forgiveness of sins and the blessings of salvation that are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram. And much like Abraham's, uh, Abram's initial call, baptism serves for you now, both as a call and as a promise that God is with you as you journey in this life from death to life. There's a second time that Nicodemus appears in John's gospel. It's when Jesus is being arrested. We see the seeds that were initially sown in Nicodemus' life through that interaction with Jesus. They begin to blossom. They begin to bear fruit as he tries to defend Jesus from an unfair arrest in an unjust trial. He said, he said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? You know what they, you know what they fired back at him with? They said, are you from Galilee too? As if to shame him, as if to scorn him, they actually identified him with Jesus. But there is no such shame. Nicodemus learned, as we must learn, that we are not always among friends in this world, but we dwell among those who are often hostile to us. 
as Abram lived among the Canaanites, as Jesus pitched his tent among those who rejected him. This Lenten journey reminds us that our lives will often conflict with others on account of our faith in Christ. But we are marked by him in baptism, and he is on this journey with us. The last time that we see Nicodemus is at the place where Jesus fulfills the promise made to Abram, the promise that would bring blessing to the world. Nicodemus was there at the crucifixion. And he helped Joseph of Arimathea bury, jo- uh, bury Jesus' body. We are not told about the completion of Nicodemus' journey, but I have a pretty good guess. Because three days later, Jesus would complete what Abram never could. He would rise again from the dead. He would bring blessing and salvation to the world. He would bring the hope of eternal life. I like to think that Nicodemus finished his journey finally understanding what Jesus was teaching him back in John chapter 3. That this blessing through Abraham was always, always about Jesus and his work for sinners. So, fellow travelers, God calls us away from what is familiar and what is comfortable to us during this season. But fear not, because it is our Lord Jesus who goes with us. And for the sake of his finished work and the faith that he has given to you in this promise, you are counted righteous, blessed, a true child of Abraham, an inheritor of eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.